Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hello, hello, and welcome back. We're so glad to have you back on this episode of Raising Joy. You know, one of our first episodes dealt with um, a trauma and how childhood trauma messes with, you know, can sometimes mess with the mental and physical health. Um, You know, it really kind of throws the equilibrium off of the health. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked about the ACEs study with Dr. Hood Patterson, and I just thought she did a really good job of explaining that to us. Right. And and I think that there are all different kinds of trauma. You know, she had lost her dad, um, you know, in, in her front yard, and that was like totally changed her life as a teenager. But, you know, I think that there are other kinds of trauma that we see, you know, and I think that there is some trauma in our society right now um, just watching the news. Yeah, we're seeing it now as you watch the you know, the events of Ukraine open up and and just unfold. And and now the photos and the, the video, it's becoming so much more graphic. And, mm-hmm. and while, of course, my trauma is not their trauma by no stretch of the imagination, it is something that if I look at long enough, I feel the effect. And so trauma is something that, you know, we tend to, you know, push down, push down, push down. But, you know, that stuff can bubble up and come back. And I, you know, when we talk about ACEs, I didn't even realize I had about five or six of them, <laughs> you know, a lot, a lot of people are learning that, and right? You're, you're, you know, and you're, you're I got to keep my head down. I got to do this. I got to make sure I do that. And so you want to push it down. But, you know, besides that, today we we are joined by um, someone I would like to just refer to as a trauma survivor um, who embodies the word resilient. Absolutely. So Ashley Igo was just eight years old when her life changed forever. It set her on a course to help countless others. Ashley, thank you for being here. Thank y'all for having me. Thank you so much. Um, So now that we've set this up, that trauma lives around you or has been a part of your life, um, tell us about the day. Yeah, the day of the accident. So um, a little bit of background. So um, a big deal for eight-year-olds in in kind of adolescence is the American girl concept. Yes. Yes. Um, So I, my friends and I were obsessed with the American girl series and um, my mom and her best friend had my, so my mom had me and then her best friend had three girls. And so they planned a spring break trip to Chicago to the American girl store, um, which was amazing. Yes. And, um, instead of taking traditional transportation, we took an Amtrak train and that was cool and exciting. And, you know, kind of all the things, um, that go along with, you know, new experiences. So it was a really, really cool trip. Um, we spent a week there, you know, exploring Chicago and going to the American girl store. And, um, on the way back, we were headed back from Chicago on our way home to Memphis, which is where I'm from. Um, and an 18 wheeler tried to beat the crossing arm of, um, you know, the, the railroad track. And so, um, he did not make it. Our train collided with the 18 wheeler, um, and 12 people died in the accident. Hundreds were injured and I was the only person to survive, um, in our sleeper car. So, 
everyone that I was with in my particular car passed away. So my mom, yeah, my mom, my two best friends and my niece, um, all passed away and my right foot was amputated in the accident. Mm. Oh my goodness, Ashley. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was, it was a lot for sure. That's a traumatizing situation Mm -hmm. for real. And for an eight year old girl, Yeah. how, how did, after all that happened, how did that change and how did that affect your life? So, um, kind of to put it in a nutshell, I kind of look at healing in three different ways. Personally, first is physical healing. So after the accident, um, kids by nature are physically resilient. And so I actually went to one physical therapy session. I was like, this is boring. And I taught myself how to walk on a prosthesis. So that heart kind of was pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritually, my faith is, it wasn't, is still really important to me. And I had a great community surrounding me. And so, um, prayer and faith in the Lord really strengthened me during that time. Um, the mental health piece is something that was not cared for. Um, not out of, you know, it wasn't my dad's fault, but being a single dad, he didn't really pay attention to that piece. Right. And it was like late nineties. Like who cared about mental health then? Exactly. (laughs) Okay. The physical, the spiritual that's done. Right. Right. So everyone looked at me and assumed like, Oh wow, she can walk. She can run. She's doing great. She's totally fine. She's healed. Let's go. Let's move on with this, you know, lone survivor, powerful kid. Right. Um, I went to, I will say my dad took me to one therapy session, um, with an older gentleman who was not a play therapist. And, um, I sat on his couch and he asked me some questions. I told my dad I didn't like it and I never went back. And so I lived with unresolved trauma for decades, um, before it was ever addressed. So, and I think what's hard too about your situation is it's trauma and grief together. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that just makes it even more hard. Exactly. Wow. Trauma and grief together. Mm -hmm. It's how how, what, how did you figure out like, Hey, maybe there's something else. Like maybe I need, or how, how did the, how did you see the trauma kind of bubble up for you? Yeah. So like I said, I kind of assumed that I was healed on all fronts until really my early twenties. So, um, I, had looked back. So the anniversaries of the train wrecks over the years were not super significant, but, um, the 10 year anniversary, for some reason, I was like, wow, it's been 10 years since this train wreck. I'm going to go on YouTube and see if there's any coverage from, you know, cause I had been contacted by some news agencies out of Chicago, just kind of following up, you know, 10 years after the accident. And then since then it's 20 years after. Um, and so I was like, let me look at just some footage and just see from that day. And so that, as you're talking about imagery, Mm. um, can be extremely triggering. And I found this YouTube montage of the accident that Mm. I was in that I had never seen before. Um, and so the imagery kind of sparked, kind of flipped on this switch that I had not, that had not flipped on. Mm. And I, long story short, kind of launched into this whole kind of spiral of PTSD symptoms and debilitating panic disorder. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing this even in a different perspective because you experienced the train wreck, Mm -hmm. but seeing it from a video standpoint, Mm -hmm. now you're seeing things you didn't see, didn't remember from a perspective that was not what you experienced. You you know what I'm saying? It was different. It looked honestly a lot worse on the, the video footage, like the fire, the flames, the, you know, screaming, the 
just the horror of it. I had survived it, but I hadn't actually seen it. And so, um, that triggered a years long battle with anxiety disorder. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could definitely see how that would trigger that. And yeah. So just to help me understand a little bit. So like you, do, do you think like you ever had any PTSD symptoms after it happened? Like nightmares, flashbacks? Now that you think back. <laughs> yes. Now that I think back and that I specialize in play therapy and, um, and childhood development, I can pinpoint, oh my gosh, that OCD tick that you had was a, <laughs> a side effect of unresolved trauma and grief and mm-hmm. anxiety, right? Yeah, I mean, wow. I definitely had OCD and panic growing up intermittently. Um, and it looks different in kids than it does in adults. And so my dad, single dad, you know, now running this bed and breakfast, that was my mom's dream. And he was running it by himself because she died. Um, he didn't, see it. Right. right. And so I just kind of brushed everything, shoved it down, pushed it down. Like, Oh, you're fine. Right. And now looking back, it's like, Oh my gosh, there were so many warning signs. Um, and I didn't deal with them. And so what I've learned through my study in psychology is that, and there's this book, um, it's called the body keeps the score is that our body holds on to experiences. Even if we don't process them verbally, trauma lives in the right hemisphere of the brain and actual neuro clusters. And it takes in-depth therapy. Um, what in my case I did EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it's for essentially just for PTSD. Um, and I, I did that. I did years of it. in addition to talk therapy, in addition to medication and, you know, I would say I still struggle with anxiety and panic. I still have those thoughts, but I don't, um, I don't become immobilized by them. They don't make my life dysfunctional anymore. Um, so yeah, I've, I've learned a great deal. (laughs) And so I'm a therapist. Wow. Did you ever go back to, you did go back to therapy, IMDR, you went back to therapy. In my twenties. Yeah. So I took, you know, a decade plus hiatus from therapy that I needed, um, and didn't deal with these things till I was in my early twenties. How did you find, how did you decide this is what I wanted to do? And this was the best thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I studied psychology, ironically enough at SMU. Um, so it had some, you know, kind of basic, like, Oh, the green lights were going off in college. Like (laughs) this is interesting. Um, and then I kind of threw a a pathway of individuals was really became really interested in therapy. I knew I wanted to work with kids. And so, um, through my master's program at SMU, I also went to SMU, um, for my master's degree, I really started kind of realizing I was learning about myself and did research and just kind of was like, okay, I need to do this specific therapy. And I found a therapist and, um, kind of, you know, went from there. It was a lot of, through my own education, I, was kind of my best advocate from a mental health standpoint. That's amazing. Well, and it's awesome. I mean, I, I think that um, whenever you have trauma and the the shove it down mm-hmm. is survival. Yes. Like that is a survival mm-hmm. mechanism. Like, yeah. hey, I went through something really bad and I need to get through the day. How yep. do I do that? Mm-hmm. Boom. Kid, we call it compartmentalization. Yep. Kids are experts at this. Mm-hmm. And, but it is just to keep going like yep. every day. And so- um, I really applaud you for being willing to like open back up the box and it's, be willing to have a look at what is there because 
that's painful. It's painful and tough. Yeah. I mean, I really got to the point where I was in therapy or I was in grad school to be a therapist. And I realized that if I did not deal with my own issues, I could not help other people. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was kind of honestly by force, I got to where I was having such horrible panic attacks that I couldn't focus. Um, and so it was like, okay, I've got to do this. And I did it and it, it's uncomfortable. It's hard. I mean, it's not fun to feel like that and to kind of face those traumas again, cause you're reliving everything. Um, but in the end, your brain is more integrated when we're able to integrate trauma into, um, into our lives and make it a, a part of our story versus just shoving it down. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, how, like, you know, you've mentioned being a counselor and a play mm-hmm. therapist. So like, how, how did that come about? Like, how'd you figure that out? Yeah. So I have always, you know, in a sense, wanted to help people. And I really became passionate about early intervention when I learned about kind of my own issues and how those could have likely been prevented. Um, to some extent, right. Um, with some play therapy or therapeutic approaches that were appropriate for my developmental stage. Right. So I was like, okay, clearly kids need prevention, um, for, or not early intervention to, to, with the goal of prevention, essentially. Mm -hmm. So we want to prevent them from experiencing these debilitating issues. Um, so, you know, let's, let's get them early. Right. So that's what kind of made me want to work with kids and want to work with, with play therapy specifically is kind of preventing. I would say, you don't want to become me. (laughs) We want you to process this as a seven-year-old versus when you're 25. Um, and yeah. But it seems like to me, it would be so much harder to deal with a seven-year-old who can't really communicate and who really can't articulate what's going on as opposed to a 25-year-old who can say, boy, this is painful for me, you know, as opposed to that child. Yeah. It seems to me that that one, and I'm looking at Kristen, like you do this every day. So, <laughs> you know, it would seem to me harder to deal with a younger In child. In a sense. So, but think about it. Like if you go the same way to work every day, it's so much harder to learn a new way. Right. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas kids, we can teach them, we can, we can form those neural pathways in a positive, mm-hmm. right. Versus going back and trying to erase the old road, right. And, and starting a new one. So as adults, we are more stubborn and it actually can take a lot, har- a lot longer <laughs> yeah. and it's harder, um, to learn new skills. But if we teach kids like, Hey, it's okay that you feel this way. We accept your feeling and we reflect your emotion and, you know, so I always say we, we accept the feeling. We do not always accept the behavior. Um, (laughs) and so we, you know, for example, you know, when I was growing up, my stress and anxiety came out a lot as defiance Mm -hmm. and, and kind of not, not great behavior as my dad would probably say, just smart aleck. Um, but really in, on the inside, I was hurting, right. I missed my mom. I was lonely. And so, um, I wish that I had had coping skills to, to implement at a young age so, so that those behaviors did not, you know, pr- even present themselves. So I'm really passionate about teaching kids coping skills early, acknowledging that, you know, this is what you're going through and that's okay. And let's help you process through it versus let's just shove it down and Avoid it. make it part of your personality. Yeah. Right. Ooh. when you're an adult. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think that's, I think that's really key. Like exactly what you're saying, like we can create new, more positive, um, 
coping strategies because mm-hmm. sometimes trauma and abuse can lead to really negative coping skills. I see it a lot in my practice, like mm-hmm. lots of cutting, um, just horrible self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that it just affects everything, like how they interact with the world, what yep. they think they can do whenever they grow up, how they pick a partner, like all these kind of things. And so I think you're absolutely right that mm-hmm. teaching them, hey, you know, you have these symptoms, here is how to help. It. I think it also helps um, I think left unchecked and untalked about the trauma gets bigger and bigger and scarier yeah. and harder to deal with. Mm-hmm. But it's like if, if the message from adults is, hey, actually, you can do this mm-hmm. and we're going to help you. Yeah, it it gives the kids a sense of control. And I think that that's ultimately what they need to be successful and to feel good about themselves. Yep, I agree. Wow. You know, we were talking earlier about how when you experience this kind of trauma um, and I've I've said it you know, before that I would probably curl up in the middle of the bed and you would never be able to get me out. But the fact that you were at a, a, a space that said, but I want to help. Mm-hmm. I want to do something different. I want to actually impact in a positive way. Mm-hmm. How does that occur? Because honestly, I know I would have a different approach. I promise you I would. <laughs> it would be something totally different. But what happens to your brain that makes you want to do something positive and to really make it better as opposed to me just lying down and curling up in the middle of the, the bed? <laughs> um, man, that's a million dollar question. I, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I, I do, again, like my faith is very important to me. So I see it as thank you, Lord, for your grace and, and letting me be kind of where I am today. But, um, there's so much good and empowerment that can come in helping other people. And I think even like, even my teenagers who are depressed, like one of them told me that she had this new thing where instead of cutting herself, she was going to draw a pretty, you know, flower on her arm. And so I shared that with another teen who was struggling with depression. And I told the first teen whose idea it was, look, I shared your idea with somebody else and it really helped her. And her face was, it lit up. Right. So just, it's so empowering to use your pain, um, to help others. And so I just kind of took that mentality and have, been blessed enough to be able to use it in multiple areas, whether it's with amputees or mental health, um, kind of things in my life. And so I, I think the Lord has given me really great opportunities to do that, but you know, it's, I think it also runs in families. So my, my mom was a super resilient person. And so I look back and think like, okay, this is kind of a, a girl power, um, kind of trend in our family, but you know, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's the grace of God, honestly, because it's nothing that I specifically did. Right, right. <laughs> I, you know, I gonna disagree. You know, because like you could, you could, like when you said, like you could have said, like I lost my mom at a time whenever girls really needed, and um, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, and I'm gonna go the route of like every negative choice that you could make. You know, yeah. but like, and the, but I think what it says so much about you that you said, Hey, I'm going to heal first and then I'm going to help people. Mm -hmm. I I just think that says so much about your heart and your character and resilience (laughs) and being a strong person. It says to me also that your mom is amazing. Yeah, she was. I think she'd be pretty proud. I think so too. (laughs) She would be like so proud of you. Yeah, she is. She is proud. She is. And and probably somewhere hovering, you know, around 
to kind of give you that, you know, okay, here, tapping <laughs> on the shoulder, do this, do that. Well, yeah. I named my, um, I have a daughter who's 14 months and she's named June after my mom. So oh, I get so to, get to see a little bit of my mom every day. Yeah. There That's you go. amazing. Yeah. That is, that is really cool. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with amputees. Cause you are not only helping the people in their mental health, <laughs> but you're helping others through, um, you know, work with other amputees. Yeah. Um, so I'm, get to be a part of two really amazing organizations. The first, um, is I am on, um, the board of the Bethany Hamilton's foundation. It's called the beautifully flawed foundation. Um, in Bethany Hamilton, for those who maybe not remember, she's the, uh, the soul surfer, um, shark, oh, <laughs> shark yes, attack victim. Right. Yeah. So she's a great friend and, um, have gotten to know her through the years. And we, every year we hold a retreat in California, um, called the beautifully flawed retreat for amputee girls and women across the world. It wow. is amazing. Wow. It's the best week of the year by far always. Um, and so we just pull these girls together for a whole week in Del Mar, California and love on them. And, um, we focus on kind of those three pieces. So physical, mental health and, um, spiritual health and well-being. And we get to, you know, hold each other's legs and, and <laughs> talk about <laughs> prosthetic things. And, um, it's just an, it's, I call it group therapy for the week. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that. And then I'm also, um, I work with the Lauren Scruggs Kennedy Foundation. So Lauren Scruggs Kennedy is actually from the Dallas area. She um, was in a plane propeller accident years ago. Yeah, um, I remember that too. Okay, yeah, gotcha. so she is another great friend, and she and Lisa Curley um, and I run the LSK Foundation, which we provide um, beautiful silicone coverings for prostheses um, for girls and women, also. So mm. um, the insurance piece does not cover anything on a prosthetic. Um, leg or arm to look real. So you're essentially getting a metal pole and self-esteem does not really allow for that um, in a lot of yeah, ways. For sure. So, so we pay for that. Um, we pay for the beautiful piece of that prosthesis. So we actually have a recipient coming next week. I think it's our 13th one. So yeah, we've um, been able to do some really amazing things. Mm. So I think it's so cool because I, I've had patients, um, maybe not amputees, but who have gone through something that's disfiguring mm -hmm. and yeah. they can, it could, it really is a huge, especially if it happens to a teenager is such a huge blow to their self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're already self-conscious and now you're like, Oh look, now they're really going to look at me. Yeah. And so I, I feel like a lot of kids, um, they just like turn in on themselves and like wall themselves out, like wall themselves off from the rest of the world. Cause mm -hmm. they don't want to be seen. Right. But I think what's amazing about you having a therapy background mm -hmm. is that you can say, and your personal experiences, you can say, Hey, I've been through this. Mm -hmm. I know like you can actually say, I know how you feel. Yeah. You've been through it all. And I think that that just puts you in such a unique spot to help a, a lot of people. Spot. It's amazing. It can be really powerful. And I think of, I have a couple of girls in my practice who they have type one diabetes. And so they were, you know, the, the Dexcom and, um, you know, I'll see on their intake form. Okay. They wear a Dexcom. And so I will intentionally wear like a dress that day or a skirt. And so they can see automatically that like, Hey, there's something different about your body too. Um, and so then it's a really cool bond of like, Oh, my sugars are really low today. And it sucked. I'm like, yeah, my leg is squeaking for no reason. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's <laughs> doing that. Um, so it is, you know, not to say that other people can't empathize, but there's something about kind of being in that shared experience of having something different about you. Um, that is, is comforting. Yeah. The last two years have been really hard 
for yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything, any trends, anything in your practice as a result of the last two years? Yes. Um, you know, I, in addition to the anxiety disorders that we have continued to see, the depression, um, the kind of self-harm, the just all the things. I, I would say the most concerning to me just kind of looking back over the last couple of years was the turn inward, not only to just like, cause they couldn't go anywhere. Right. We were doing virtual sessions, virtual school, and everyone was on their phones all the time. Mm -hmm. And so the turning inward, the turning to their phone, the turning to comparison, um, actually had a girl who had struggled with disordered eating in the past, but then I, you know, I'd seen her for virtual sessions for a year and then I saw her in person and she had lost a significant amount of weight. Um, and she hid it from me, right? During virtual sessions, she was wearing baggy clothes and, and that kind of thing. So looking back, it's just, it's like, wow, like these things that were already really difficult for them have now been kind of exacerbated by, um, by certain things. And so, yeah, I would say that for, for the most part, most of my cases right now are teenage and preteen girls. Um, and so I really do see a lot of kind of the disordered eating, um, making a, I don't even think it's a comeback. It's just, it's rearing its ugly head. So, um, yeah, I I think that it's, it's rough for self-image these Mm -hmm. days. And we've talked a lot about how long this is going to take for us to unravel Mm -hmm. out of of this. It's not like, okay, now that we're through with the pandemic, take off your mask, keep going. And (laughs) and, and it's all going to be over. It's really going to be an unraveling for, for years to come. Yeah. There are kids now who don't even want to take their mask off because they got to hide their acne when they wore their mask. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a whole. Yeah, I, I think we're going to be seeing kind of ripple effects for a while. I'm curious if is this is kind of a little bit of a left turn. But um, if you what would you say to like an eight year old girl who came in your practice who had something that changed their body? Like, what would you tell her? Mm. So my gut would be to sit and sit with them in their discomfort, right? And, and whatever is making them have their whatever emotional kind of feelings, right? So parents are always saying, oh, she has such big feelings, right? And so therapy 101 is reflect the feeling, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to fix it for you. Mm-hmm. We will sit and we can cry together and we can be sad about that. And we can say that this sucks. Um, but then we, you know, I would hopefully be able to cultivate in her coping skills and positive ways to look at things in a different perspective. But I never want to just brush over things that are the initial kind of emotional hurt that we need to sit in. Um, growing up, you know, it was uncomfortable for my dad to sit in emotions with me. And so he just tried to fix things. Right. And so that's what men do. do. (laughs) Um, and so the can got kicked down the road. Right. So I would want to embrace that, whatever she was, you know, struggling with or dealing with, um, reflect those feelings, sit with her in the pain. Um, and then, you know, when she's ready to, to kind of move forward, um, with coping, then, then that's when we start. That's amazing. And what would you tell a parent of a kid who had had some sort of like either Mm -hmm. life altering trauma or, you know, or or something that changed their appearance or Mm -hmm. like what, what would you tell the parent? How do they best support their kid? 
Well, first, I would recommend finding a therapist. <laughs> you, <laughs> in particular. You, well, yes. to help you. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, like we do a lot of parent training through therapeutic parenting skills at our practice and mm. um, parents want to fix, right? They want to say, let's just, okay, but it's fine. You're okay. Let's move on. And oh, but you're so beautiful. And oh, this is, you know, but this is great about your life. But kids really need to feel heard and understood. And mm. so um, we know through research and um, in neuroscience that if you name an emotion for somebody, it helps them to feel that emotion less intensely mm. because someone else is sharing that kind of burden. Sometimes it is a burden. Sometimes it's not a burden, but, um, someone else is sharing that with you. And so the first thing I teach parents is sit and reflect because sometimes the problem doesn't necessarily need to be fixed. They just need to know that someone's hearing them and sitting with them in that moment. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, depends on the case, but I always start there. I always start with reflecting the feeling. <laughs> but I think that's great advice mm -hmm. for like kids grieving any, you know, mm -hmm. grief, like if they're grieving their personal appearance, a loss of a relationship, yeah. You know, I mean, that that would apply to a girl who's been broken up with, yeah. you know, like yep. sit with Just the feeling with them. and it's and OK. It stinks and it's uncomfortable. And let's, you know, move on when you're ready. But I, I too, I, I'm always I try to be careful not to have kids use their diagnoses as excuses for things. Um, but, you know, there's a fine a fine line. Right. right. So <clears throat> absolutely. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you all for having me. Appreciate this has it. been so enlightening. And just like we talked about, you know, at the beginning, you really are resilient. <laughs> yes, and, and, and it's inspiring. And I love sitting in this chair because the inspiration just doesn't stop. <laughs> it keeps coming through the door. Hey, you guys have a fun job. <laughs> so, uh, we're so grateful that you spent time with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for being a part of us and being uh, all of your support being with us. Uh, please rate, review and subscribe to help us continue to grow and reach more people with these conversations and inspirations. But until next time, have, have a, a joyful, joyful day. day.